0: Pleased to be joined on the line now by Joy Ming King, who is associated with the Loisan Collective. Joy Ming, we'll get on to uh, the work of the Loisan Collective in a moment, but we wanted to speak to you uh, to get your perspective on the, the protests in Hong Kong. There's, of course, been a great deal of mainstream media coverage, which... I have to say, uh, is more uh, noise than a signal and uh, not, not a lot of light in terms of uh, really revealing what's what's happening there. Let's go back to the start of the protests, which are, of course, ongoing. The signal issue which uh, gave rise to the protests was the extradition law proposed uh, by Beijing. Explain to our listeners how the protests then very quickly spread beyond that single issue. Uh, and I suppose what what the protests uh, became about, you know, beyond simply that extradition law issue. Mm -hmm.
1: Sure, yeah. And first of all, I'd like to thank you, Alex, for having me on the show and giving me the opportunity to share with you and your uh, audience what is so important in Hong Kong right now and, I think, what is important for the world. Uh, To start with the extradition law, um, the government proposed this law back in February, uh, which would basically, if, if it was passed, it would allow the government to extradite anyone, no matter if you're from Hong Kong or you're just a tourist, uh, anyone who is suspected of breaking a list of Chinese laws could be extradited from Hong Kong to China under this new law. And even though the government framed this as simply fixing a technical legal loophole, it was clear to everyone in Hong Kong that this is essentially the latest step in China's larger project, which they've been carrying out for the past 22 years, of asserting control and domination in Hong Kong, undermining Hong Kong's promised autonomy, and most of all, undermining Hong Kong's democracy. Um, and so very quickly, uh, resistance against this bill spiraled into a larger resistance movement against uh, China, against Beijing's puppet government in Hong Kong. And of course, because uh, this regime is tied to so many economic interests and social interests, uh, it, th- th- there are dimensions of this resistance that are about inequality, that are about uh, discrimination and all other kinds of oppressive social structures in Hong Kong that make life difficult under the current regime controlled by Beijing.
0: Now, but that brings me on to my next question, uh, Joy Ming, because there's been a lot of uh, controversy within, uh, certainly within left-wing uh, circles, debating and discussing. Uh, perhaps uh, without a great deal of knowledge, I have to have to add about precisely what these demonstrations are about. And I've certainly read some commentary suggesting that the protesters are ignoring, for instance, the massive. Uh, uh, housing problems there, and in, inequality, and so forth, and that really this is somehow uh, a, a kind of a almost chauvinist kind of anti-mainland Chinese uh, movement, and that somehow it's in the pockets of Washington and so on. So, uh, tell our listeners more, I guess, about what the uh, social agenda is of, of the protests you mentioned there. That inequality is, uh, you, you know, one of the issues there. So it, it's, I because mean, it seems difficult to me to get a handle on precisely what the movement is is demanding. Um, and forgive my ignorance on that, on that front, but what, what would you say about what are the, the, the sort of the principal social agenda of the movement?
1: Yeah, so what needs to be understood here, uh, this is a really important point, is that this is a leaderless movement. Uh, perhaps more than any other social movement in recent years around the world, this movement is entirely grassroots, even though there are organizations that will come out and engage with, uh, with the movement in various ways, such as by organizing an individual march or rally. Uh, the movement as a whole is entirely grassroots and very much uh, coming from online uh, uh, forums, people uh, sort of taking their own initiative to organize boycotts, to organize rallies, organizing um, uh, various marches around different parts of the city, and Because it's so decentralized and everything is grassroots, it's very unclear sometimes what uh, trends or currents within this movement are dominant Uh, because it's so heterogeneous and uh, very different voices, as you said, from the chauvinist, anti-mainland racist sentiments, which definitely uh, color parts of this movement. Uh, You have those people, but you also have people who are very conscious of these problems and are reaching out actively actively to build solidarity across the border with the working class folks in mainland China, people who are engaging with migrant domestic workers, for instance. And so there's a wide spectrum of politics that are emerging from this movement, and they're all quite different from each other. But I would say that what brings all of these currents together, so far at least, has been a rallying call to resist uh, the common oppression of the Chinese government uh, to resist police brutality. That is actually, I would say, the most unifying um, element of this protest is the unprecedented escalation in police brutality has shocked and angered broad sections of Hong Kong society, regardless of class um, and other uh, social differences. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I've also seen commentary from the Western left in particular some parts of the Western left have, have sort of uh, been observing this from afar and you know uh, making very uh, gener- like, uh, very old and stale generalizations about China and the Communist Party that rules China and saying that, oh, because they are an anti-western uh, power, that they somehow merit uh, the support or solidarity of the West, even though, we know for a fact that they are probably one of the world's most powerful capitalist, imperialist and colonial powers oppressing their own people right now, among them, of course, being Hong Kongers. And so what my friends and I at Laosan have been trying to push is a leftist decolonial perspective that is very clear about this essence of the Chinese Communist Party, very clear about um, the oppressions being in, uh, uh, being resisted by millions of people within mainland China and outside mainland China, and to build solidarity with oppressed people around the world, uh, in the West, uh, and in the Third World, and elsewhere.
0: Just, just carrying on with uh, the Laosan Collective that you mentioned there, tell us a little bit more uh, about it, the kind of people that are, are involved in it, and I suppose uh, what sort of uh, influence it, it has. Is, is it a small group? Uh, is it very much directly involved uh, in, in the protests? And I guess uh, the, some of the work that the collective does.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, we are a very new group. Uh, we came out about a month or two ago, and we sort of connected uh, over a common anxiety about how the Hong Kong protests are being portrayed um, outside of Hong Kong and also, uh, and like, we're all interested in the radical possibilities for uh, a new kind of political consciousness arising from the Hong Kong movement. And we're a group of about 30, 35 um, people from across the world. Uh, we, we, we all have relationships with Hong Kong in some way. I, myself, I'm born and raised in Hong Kong, um, but we have people who uh, are part of the Hong Kong diaspora um, in various parts of the world, the U.S., the U.K., uh, Canada, um, and uh, all of, of all different ages, and we're all in different uh, professions, I guess. We have some academics. We have lawyers. Uh, I, myself, am still an undergraduate student, Um, And so we're quite a diverse bunch, but we're all brought together by a common desire to see uh, a new kind of emancipatory future for Hong Kong, one that we cannot retrieve from our history, one that is uh, not simply against authoritarian uh, rule by Beijing, but also against other kinds of oppression that are tied to this authoritarian rule, the the rule of financial uh, capital, the rule of um, borders, for instance, and police um, state power, uh, more broadly speaking. And we're interested in connecting, um, Hong Kong with the unfolding histories of this oppression all around the world from places like Puerto Rico, Haiti, the Kurds right now, and Indonesia, and the list goes on. And so we're actively trying to build transnational solidarity to imagine a new kind of Hong Kong and Hong Kong identity that is not rooted in, uh, archaic notions of what it means to be a Hong Konger, but rather, uh, a Hong Kong identity built on struggle.
0: Now, coming back to some of the distorted understandings of what's happening in Hong Kong at the moment, uh, particularly from uh, elements of the the Western left, I mentioned earlier that uh, there is a perception among some quarters that uh, these this movement is in the pockets of Washington and, and some commentators have drawn comparisons with the so-called colour revolutions in Eastern Europe. And there's, of course, been footage of demonstrators in Hong Kong uh, waving the American flag and calling for American assistance and even uh, waving the flag of the former colonial ruler of Hong Kong uh, uh, in in the United Kingdom so is there any do you give any credence uh, joining to the notion that uh, somehow this movement is you know a puppet of of Washington are there at least some elements where the Americans or elements of the American government are are trying to at least take advantage of the situation uh, you you know for their own uh, for their own political interests Uh,
1: my short answer is definitely no Uh, But this is not to say that the U.S., uh, the U.K., and other imperial powers in the West don't have an interest in what's going on in Hong Kong. Of course they have an interest. Uh, China is the rising power uh, in in Asia and challenging the U.S., for instance, uh, as a superpower, as a rising superpower. And, of course, Trump and the U.S. uh, uh, elite have an interest in what's going on in Hong Kong. But that's very different than saying that the movement itself, which is run by millions of people on a grassroots level, uh, many of them willing to sacrifice their lives and their family and their whole career and their future uh, for this movement. It's very different to say that these people are being bankrolled by some foreign powers. Uh, you know, there are people who say that the CIA is, is bankrolling these people. Well, you know, I, I can be honest with you. I, I know and work with many of these grassroots activists. None of us have received our paycheck yet. From the CIA, <laughs> um, And so... While there is uh, truth to the claim that the U.S. and foreign powers have an interest in what's going on, what's going to unfold in Hong Kong, it's very different to say that than to say that we're being bankrolled. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, you you can find parallels uh, to this elsewhere. The U.S. being a superpower obviously has its interests all around the world, but it doesn't mean that everything that um, people do against a foreign power or, or, or against an authoritarian power that is, uh, the enemy of the U.S. is also at the same time friend of the U.S. Uh, we have to break from this uh, uh, very problematic way of thinking that the enemy of our enemy is always our friend. And that's actually what people at Lao at and the collective that I'm working at were trying to push this narrative to say, look, we understand that in Hong Kong we, we are desperate and we're fighting against this massive uh, rising superpower, but we can't just be pleading indiscriminately for the help of foreign superpowers no matter who they are. Instead, we should look to uh, other oppressed peoples around the world who are struggling in very similar circumstances against the same kinds of oppression. And very often, these people are not the friends of the U.S., for instance, the folks in Puerto
0: Rico. Finally, Joy Ming, I often like to uh, end interviews by uh, asking our guests to uh, look through a crystal ball, as it were, and uh, uh, give a sense of where they think uh, that this movement uh, might uh, be going. And I suppose one aspect of, of, of what might happen is the protests uh, shifting, at least partially, their focus to to the Hong Kong elite, although, of course, they're already doing that, the Hong Kong elite really being uh, uh, in cahoots, if you like, with uh, the Beijing authorities. But, but just generally speaking, where do you see this movement going? It's quite remarkable that it's sustained itself for so long uh, already.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I hesitate to make any predictions because you know social movements are notoriously hard to predict, especially when they're still unfolding. It's very hard to predict where it's going. Something wild could happen tomorrow and the whole movement could shift gears and, and uh, to something else. Um, but what I can tell you is that... Um, Basically, since uh, late August or since September, I think the movement's been entering into a stage of stalemate. And, um, you know, uh, there is not a lot of room for further escalation. Um, we've sort of reached a threshold of violence beyond which people are hesitant or afraid to uh, bring further violence uh, for, for good reason um, because the, the violence of the state is so much more powerful. Um, so it's unclear to me where it's going to go, but, um, I know that in order to, uh, keep this movement sustainable and actually win some more victories, uh, we need to shift gears and think about how to engage, uh, the working class more broadly, for instance, into this movement, how to build transnational solidarity with folks across the border in mainland China. Um, just a, a, small example, um, a, uh, a famous uh, Me Too activist and journalist in, uh, from China was recently arrested just a few days ago after visiting Hong Kong and reporting on the protests there. So she went back to mainland China and upon her return was detained and she is still being detained. Um, her name is Huang Shui-Tin, um Sophia Huang Xueqin. And uh, we're thinking about how to build solidarity with people like her who are working in mainland China um, on very similar issues and are looking to Hong Kong uh, to build solidarity.